The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Futures are red as Democrats take at least one Georgia Senate seat. We'll see about the other. Big implications for stimulus and rates. Ten-year yield above one. ADP with its first decline since April. Our roadmap begins with that Georgia shocker. Democrats flipping at least one Senate seat. Tech shares are taking a hit amid renewed concerns about higher taxes and increased regulatory scrutiny. Plus, shares of Tesla, yep, they're rallying ahead of the open. This after a key analyst boosted his price target following better-than-expected fourth-quarter deliveries. Now, we're keeping an eye on oil. It uh, broke above 50 for the first time since February. Overall, energy, top-performing sector, liquid natural gas in Japan, skyrocketing, propane prices, Carl. The energy complex having a good move so far. Yeah, so many moving pieces this morning, David and Jim. I guess the uh, question of the early morning will be whether or not those bank shares are enough to lift the Dow. Geez, I've got to tell you, the enthusiasm for this group uh, it is just out of control versus the fact we're about to get some earnings. And while I like them, they're very inexpensive versus the rest of the market. Uh, the idea that suddenly they're going to do better does fly in the face of what uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren talked to me about in September at the CNBC uh, in II conference, which was that the banks are too big, that the banks need more scrutiny. So the idea that it's just tech that's going to get the scrutiny and not the banks, I mean, please buy the banks because you think that the earnings are going to go up and not by just a tiny bit of a move in the tenure, I know, back to March, but because the fundamentals are going to be great. And right now, I think the stocks reflect a lot of those fundamentals. David, I'm not so sure if these continue to go up that they don't reflect more than the fundamentals. Well, how, Jim, are you viewing things right now? And if any way is your view changing as a result of the possibility that the Democrats will take control of the Senate? Well, look, I've got to tell you, I, I don't want to fly in the face of what seems like a fun story. But no, I don't think it's that much. I mean, if you get the Democrats in, you could argue there's going to be more stimulus. That means you go buy the retailers if you get one of these big themes that I'm talking about. Uh, if the Republicans stay in, then, then taxes are low and the earnings per share go up. There's a lot of ways to win here. But if we decide to lose and sell all of big tech once again, we're going to be fooled when the companies report the earnings. The ETFization, the SPXization, that ended in 2019, but it continues by some people who just believe that stocks are all just one big basket. Carl, I think the, the Murray men, the Robin Hoodization, that's more powerful. They're looking at these stocks and saying, ah, oh, Eureka, I have a chance to buy Amazon. And yes, I don't think that Elizabeth Warren and company is going to stay, really going to just trample Apple. So let's be careful about these broader generalizations. And by the way, I made most of the money on tech when the tenure was between four and 6%. So I know these are exciting to talk about, but I think we 
we should be talking about making money for people. And you don't sell tech on a minor move of the tenure and the fact that Elizabeth Warren is now more important and Chuck Schumer is more important. Carl, it's not going to hold up over the long term. Yeah, you remind me of what Barclay said yesterday, Jim, and that was that the options market was not really freaking out over the Georgia outcome either way, because in their view, and they said they agree, if Democrats were to secure both seats, policy gridlock would be the most probable outcome of the next few years. You're going to have a few senators become very powerful in the middle, but it's going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of deal cutting. Is our investors painting this scenario with too broad a brush? I think they are, Carl. I think when I take a look at, let's say, Facebook. Facebook has tried to affiliate itself with small and medium-sized business, which, of course, is the backbone of the economy. Not as easy to attack. Uh, Amazon, putting up, look at these low-interest loans they're giving to people who work there. It makes it harder to attack. Alphabet, we've been looking for a change agent. We've been looking for an activist. Have we found one in Senator Warren? David, could Senator Warren be the Elliott partners of what we need to get the value out in alphabet. <laughs> uh, well, you'll have to rely on the law for that, won't you? I mean, you're referring. Listen, uh, let's not forget the DOJ is already uh, there, Jim. That's already underway. Uh, and you've pointed it out. Right. That, right, uh, right. That it could be a good thing if they were to actually break the company up is, is the point you're getting at here when you talk about that. But it seems an unlikely outcome, I have to say, regardless of where this Congress stands right now. Yes, there's going to be a lot more scrutiny. But whether it's going to actually get to the point where you break apart one of the largest technology companies in the world, uh, very much unclear. And again, you're going to have to go through the courts to do that if they don't want to. But yes, so then you default to David that, well, it's the, uh, the horrendous move, the giant move in the tenure. I mean, again, I think that we uh, are spending too much time thinking about the broader brush. When I look at a company like Salesforce, which is down today, and I think, Carl, well, wait a second. You can sell Salesforce. But what happens when the earnings come out? You cannot create customers by having the 10-year go this year or this way or that way. You can't create customers when you look at the Senate. You can create customers if you have a product that sells. And that's what Salesforce has. I think we seem to forget the fact that we're trading businesses. We are looking at business. Let's, let's default to what Warren Buffett would say. These are businesses. So I'm not going to buy, Carl, the notion that the Senate is changing the fact that Salesforce, you're not going to pay as much for those customers and business. That's just not going to happen. Uh, I understand that if rates really go higher, we might have an alternative. And uh, formal, you know, Typically, yes, high growth stocks get whacked when rates go up big. But you know what? This isn't a big move back to March. What I'm saying is these exaggerated moves, again, which we saw on Monday, Carl, were bought by investors after they got to a certain point because the investor mm -hmm. class is mm -hmm. no longer just looking at sweeping strategic valuations. How about, to get a little more granular this morning, Jim, uh, MSOS, uh, the U.S. cannabis ETF, up 8%, First Solar up 7%. Do you chase some of these areas that, again, uh, the narrative would suggest are going to benefit from a Democratic Senate in either energy, green energy, that is, or cannabis? Well, I do think that when you get that Tesla call uh, that Morgan Stanley goes to 810, David, you noticed we didn't speak about Tesla until 907. It's true. Uh, yeah. That makes sense because <laughs> it's, yeah, it's very clear. This administration wants to make it so that fossil fuels, which keep going higher, give me a break, are discouraged and we use EV. 
Be, uh, cannabis, well, you know what? I, that's, they always have a route. If you really want to do it, go buy canopy or even buy, buy why, not, why not buy a Constellation at this point? Because they're back in the money on that one. Remember, they bought a huge amount. But I will say this. If you want to buy something that is contrary, you rely on Governor Cuomo talking about how he needs to bring gambling to New York. David, yeah. it's really amazing. I know that you're an inveterate gambler. Not. <laughs> But when you go to across the bridge to go to uh, the GW to the New York side, you can't use draft kicks. But then you go back over the bridge and you can draft King or Rooney McFaddy. So I think that the idea that all that revenue is being lost to New Jersey, oh, it's gonna that's going to end. It's and that's change. why I think those moves are good. No, I, listen, it's we've talked end. about sports betting in particular. Gaming overall, not expected to be approved in, in all the states. But sports betting, to your point, and the revenue it's brought in just for New Jersey alone has been very significant. And there is an expectation. We were talking about this the other day. Uh, Jim, with that potential MGM transaction, of course, there's an expectation sports betting is going to be legal on your phone in every state in the country at some point. And, of course, back right. to cannabis, there's an expectation that with a Biden administration and a Democratic controlled, democratically controlled Senate, if that were to occur, you have a higher likelihood of getting national, uh, a national policy on cannabis, it being legal, and that would certainly be quite beneficial. Um, meanwhile, you've got lots of states that are legalizing it, again, because of also the revenue opportunity of doing so. To the extent you can tamp down that black market completely, even better. Um, so those are both areas where states are going to be looking. By the way, Carl, when we talk about states and we talk about their need for revenue, of course, if you were to have democratically, a democratically controlled Senate, the likelihood that they do get more aid, given it was not part of the last relief bill, uh, rises as well. So maybe the $2,000 check comes back as a possibility, but also state and local right. uh, aid comes back also uh, to state and, and local municipalities and the like who are, as we know, suffering under significant budget crunches in a lot of states. Indeed, guys. And then, of course, there's the presidential election. Uh, joint session of Congress today to count the electors, and there will be challenges. Eamon Javers is going to walk us through what we might expect uh, midday and then into this afternoon. Hey, Eamon. Yeah, good morning, Carl. We know how this is going to end, but we don't know exactly how we're going to get there during the course of the day today. Take a look at the procedures here for this joint session of Congress. This happens every time they certify the Electoral College results in Congress. That'll begin at 1 p.m. this afternoon. Vice President Pence will preside over this in his role as the Senate president. The states will be counted in alphabetical order. Their Electoral College votes uh, will be counted uh, and certified in the House chamber. Uh, the joint session though is going to dissolve if there are any objections to the state counts and we do expect possibly a number of objections here from Republicans who said uh, they simply believe, uh, despite the evidence and despite what the courts have said, uh, that there was some kind of fraud in this election. So if that happens, uh, and it is a, a, an objection that goes by the rules that are laid out very clearly in writing, then the House and Senate will dissolve that joint session, will retreat to their chambers, will debate and vote separately uh, on each of the objections. That could take up to two hours for each objection. What we don't know 
know here is how many objections necessarily we're going to see to which particular state results and therefore how long all of this is going to take. It could bleed into tomorrow if there are a lot of objections and a lot of debate around that. Bottom line here, though, is you need a majority in both the House and the Senate to sustain any objection. That's not going to happen because the Democrats control the House of Representatives. Nancy Pelosi and her team are simply not going to vote to overturn uh, the, the results of this election for Joe Biden and the presidency. Uh, so as you look at this list of about a dozen Republican senators who said they're going to sign on to these objections, these are Republican senators who are doing this knowing that this is going to fail today and under intense criticisms from some of their own Republican colleagues who say that they are simply trying to overturn the will of the people in a valid Democratic election today. So that is an element of drama. Another element of drama here today is the role of Mike Pence, who will be presiding over all of this at a moment in which the president of the United States has been tweeting at him that he has the authority to overturn this election today from that chamber. Uh, he does not have that authority. It's going to put Mike Pence in a very awkward position with his boss today. Carl, back over to you. Uh, as, as Chuck Schumer uh, just tweeted, uh, Eamon, buckle up. Uh, it's going to be quite an afternoon, Eamon. Uh, thank right. you for that. We got uh, almost $20 billion in health care M&A to talk about this morning, along with a bunch of calls on Beyond Meat, Tesla, Coke, Pepsi, uh, MasterCard, Zillow. We'll get to all of that with futures, as we said, a bit split here. We're back in a moment. Got breaking news on Ford. Uh, Q4 sales figures, uh, U.S. sales down 9.8 in the final three weeks or final three months of 2020. That's less than the 14 percent drop that analysts surveyed by Edmonds had anticipated. Uh, Jim, we'll watch that. I, you, know, you got to pay attention to Toyota, too. Yesterday, the North American chief said they expect uh, U.S. sales this year to exceed the record 16 million. Look, I've got to tell you, I think Ford's on fire. I think that uh, Jim Farley's changed the mix. Uh, the Bronco, you can't find one. I mean, the dealers are, are essentially selling uh, as soon as they arrive. I'm talking about six-day turn. It's very hard to keep stock of the uh, F-150. There are many good things happening in Ford that are being completely ignored by the market, mostly the fact that they've decided to make money on what they sell. It's a big change. I know it sounds like I, uh, that I'm being facetious, but no, this Bronco's on fire. And I think people have to recognize that Farley is a different kind of CEO. Uh, there is a good market for autos. David, we know that this whole uh, move, uh, this uh, exurbanization, which continues because of the slow rate of the vaccine, is good for autos. And I think some companies are doing better than others. But I say, yes, Tesla's great. But don't denigrate Ford because people like the Bronco, people like the F-150, and there's a market for something else other than the Tesla. All right. So we were going to get to Tesla, which is, of course, going to open at a record high. You got this Adam Jonas right. note this morning, uh, yeah. Jim. 810 well, the is the new price target. You'd say don't bother with that by Ford instead? No, 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 no. David, what is that? <laughs> David. I pledge allegiance to Tesla and the United States of America. No, Tesla's great. I'm just saying that there's room for both. Oh, my. David. I'm David, sorry. I've got to go I just, to Twitter just, now. And, just no, ask, why did you, why do you hurt me, David? Twitter. Why Twitter do you hurt is, me? Twitter is a nightmare. It really is. Sorry. I mean, well, I, follow, just, I, I got to follow. I went on Twitter to wish Joe a happy birthday. Everybody's so mean. Um, 
I wish you a good. You you, you, you were you great. You had that great Jack Moss. Yes. Story. No, I know. That's what I'm talking about. Man, people really want him to be put. I mean, they really want him to be missing. Um, but back to That's Tesla crazy. for a moment. The Adam Jonas note, Jim. Uh, their 2030 forecast is now 5.2 million units. This seems to be the key behind his raising to 810. You can see where he was previously. 38 um, percent higher than his previous 3.8 million forecast. Uh, and now he's got a company annual growth rate of 26% through 2030 in terms, again, of their unit growth. Um, so that's, that's kind of the key there. It, it, and then he goes to 23 times his 2020 enterprise value over EBITDA. That's sort of what he's basing it all on as well in terms of uh, the valuation. So 23 times what he estimates well, the company's uh, Enterprise value of EBITDA will be in 2025. Okay, so what, what's Snowflake selling at? I have no idea. The technology? A lot. Well, I'm saying that what we're seeing is, is it's a tech company, uh, Tesla. So you're going to give it somewhere between, say, uh, Snowflake and, and, and Zoom. Yep. I mean, that's what's happening, David. People are not. Now, look, his note, he's specific. He thinks of 1.7 million units by 2023. That's a lot of units. So, I mean, you're beginning to have a lot of units, but you're also just betting on the mind of this man, the mind of Elon. What's he got in his mind per share? And I've got to tell you, brain per share, I mean, cerebellum per share, what what else we got in there? Uh, You get me in terms of, like, it's his brain that we're buying. And you know what? i got to tell you, his brain's been pretty good. No, it it has. It's working. It's at full, full, yeah, full throttle, that brain. And it's got a oh, lot. Like it's got a lot That's of things to focus on. It's not just Tesla, Carl, as you know. Whether it's SpaceX or Neuralink or the Boring Project, as in boring into the Earth. Not that he's boring. Far from it. <laughs> um, it's amazing. If we, as, as I've said, if we didn't have Elon Musk, we'd have to make him up. Uh, he got them. that right, all while moving his company uh, and himself uh, to Texas. But Jim, watching that that wall chart there of uh, deliveries, I mean, two years ago, it was half of what it was uh, in 2020. What's to say you can't double it again? There you go. I mean, Berlin. I mean, come on, take it right to BMW, right to Mercedes, Austin. Oh, geez, pickup trucks. I mean, what's next? I don't know. Cars that work on water. Let's stay tuned. We'll take a break here. Got an opening bell in 10 minutes. Got more news on the NYSC delisting some of those Chinese shares. We'll talk about that in a moment. What is a fortress balance sheet? It's J.P. Morgan. And, David, we are getting... Uh, just note after note, take Deutsche Bank saying you got to buy the banks. And when you think of the banks, you got to buy J.P. Morgan. Now, is this a correct view of what's happening? I think that I mentioned at the top that the banks have some room to run, particularly if the 10-year continues to go this way. But, David, this move has been rather shocking. And we are on the cusp of earnings. Now, you know what has happened repeatedly when it comes to banks, because we're there when they report. They go up. And then people go through the numbers and they go down. So I think we are right now in no man's land. We're too far from the quarters. Stocks keep going up. But if they keep going up, that you're going to find, you know what? I bought on a thesis. But when the numbers came out, I paid too much. So let's let them run. But let's remember that there is no pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. There isn't. 
Really? None? No, I don't think so. Well, I mean, I don't know. You want Senator Elizabeth Warren in there? Uh, telling well, people she's that she's already they in remember, there. I, You're just I, saying she should be the chairman of her she committee, to, right? Yeah. Yeah, she wants to break up the big bag. She doesn't just want to break up tech. I mean, you know, she's never been a huge fan of the bag, Steve, but I'm not sure you know. I know, but I, you know, listen, she can make their life more difficult, but to actually break up a bank, you've got to get a consent decree to do it, don't you? It's the last I remember, which means no, you've got to go to court and sue them, and you've got to get the Department about, of Justice I'm, involved, I'm, and you've got to go through years and years, and it's not going to happen. Totally. But I'm just saying, do you want to pay, say, 18 times earnings when you're paying 12 times earnings a few weeks ago? I'm just saying that this whole notion that you can buy everything that hasn't moved. Well, I'm not sure I like that. I'm saying let them run. But come January 15, that's going to be judgment day for J.P. Morgan because that's when it reports. Got it. All right, uh, Jim, you just saw at the bottom of the screen the NYSE now delisting those Chinese telecom companies after they were going to delist them. Then they changed their mind. Now they're changing it again. There's a look at uh, where we stand right now. We're going to get an opening bell five minutes from now. Stay with us. A couple of big deals in healthcare M&A, which I know David will get to. Uh, I want to get Jim's take as well on Amerisource, Bergen, Jim, and uh, UNH. Look, I think oh, anything that can put a little more money in the coffers of Walgreens is a really good thing. Uh, because I think that they're considered to be maybe the worst stock in the Dow and the oils. And why? Because it doesn't have any momentum. Uh, so that was good news. I, I remember Change sat down and had dinner with them not that long ago. What a brilliant group. And uh, UNH, I think, is uh, going to do very well with that. Although I want to be careful the, of the so-called uh, health insurers. I want to see how they trade, uh, given the fact that the Democrats may be taking the Senate. Centene is up ahead. That's not bad. Uh, but Change is a really good company. It goes well with Optum. United Health is just a very smart company. When that thing settles down, you want to buy it. David? I mean, they're going to raise over $6.5 billion. They also get 2 million shares. Remember, they already own 30% of Amerisource Bergen, does Walgreens. People forget. That's from way back. They exercised warrants. It's a deal they were done over a decade ago. But here's the deal for Walgreens. I mean, uh, I sound like President-elect Biden, don't I? Um, 12 times they're selling this thing at, right? Uh, there's, you know, it's $550 million in EBITDA, so they're selling it at roughly 12 times. Business trades at about six times. So you take in that money. You're not getting credit for it anyway in the current multiple for this faster-growing business that you have. And, Jim, you can put it into what you need to, which is your retail business, figuring out digital, figuring out online, doing a better job with all those things that are so important. Um, this is the largest distribution, drug distribution company in Europe. And so, of course, Walgreens Boots operates there. They're their largest customer. They extend their agreement until 2029. So it makes sense for Amerisource. They do what they do here, where we know they're under more pressure. Remember, they're under a lot more pressure, the drug distributors, given they used to just rely on drug price inflation. Now, well, there is some of that, but they're under some pressure on the other side from the PBMs and the like. And going to Europe makes sense. Biggest distributor in Europe makes sense. Walgreens. Well, probably makes sense for them to sell it 12 times and use the money to try to help the core business, Carl. Look, yeah. CBS is cheaper, but so what? People really hate CBS. <laughs> There's a look at the opening bell and uh, the S&P 500 at the big board today. It's Star P Corp. Sustainability-focused SPAC at the NASDAQ. It is TV streaming platform 
Roku, and we're going to talk to Anthony Wood, the CEO of Roku, later on this morning on Squawk Alley. Jim, I did notice today Deutsche goes on Roku from 260 to 400, and it was yesterday that Wells went to a street-high 414. Look, I think that when you talk to Anthony Wood, what I love about him, I've interviewed him too, he's not a promoter. I mean, honestly, this is one of those stocks that is going up because of demand, because people know that uh, it's just a popular favorite at home. And when he come, when Anthony speaks, he says, yeah, we're doing well. It's not bad. But wow, what a company, what a stock, what an opportunity with the stock coming down. Uh, Anthony, amazing job, really creating, David, really creating something out of nothing. Remember when this was one of those things that you, it was like, how do you program a VCR that yeah. people were trying to figure out how to put on? And now it's standard. Yeah, you can't get rid of it. It's an important it's platform. You need it for your distribution of your direct to consumer business. I mean, think about Zaslav came on yesterday. Right. And he was saying, oh, we're on Amazon and Roku. We got those done because people can't find you unless you're on those platforms. It's somewhat uh, akin to again. And Malone talked about this with me a few months ago to being on the cable system if you're a cable network, right, back 25 years ago. You had to be. Uh, it's the way that you got to the, well, to the viewers. And this is the same. He's created it. He's made it ubiquitous enough that you've got to have the content available on it, and therefore you pay for the privilege. Well, uh, David, I think that can, it could lead in some, let's say, younger people uh, who don't seem to be these cord nevers. The cord nevers like Roku, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't you? I mean, you, you put your Roku up, you put your digital antenna up, you subscribe, subscribe to a few of the streaming services, and, uh, and you're off to the races. I mean, which is why there is still a huge challenge to the cable ecosystem. We're just going to continue to see it erode, one would expect. Although when you do add it all up, eventually, guys, we've done this. If you get enough streaming services in there and everything else, and you're paying for your Internet bill and whatnot, it, it ends up, you're not far off. I mean, we and we've seen the likes of, of YouTube TV, for example, 65 bucks a month. Uh, Carl, it's it's not exactly that much of an economic value anymore if people want to go that route. But they certainly can go the Roku route. We know that. Jim, we got a lot of um, news on on China. We got the arrests in Hong Kong of uh, dozens as they try to clamp down on dissent. We got an EO about uh, payments of Chinese processors from the president. And then, of course, now the NYSE is going to proceed, as David said, with that delisting. We got those ADRs down. Boy, what cross currents here are really rather extraordinary. Remember, President Trump really was never that focused on the uh, rights of, of, the, of the democracy in Hong Kong. Obviously focused much more on business and on stopping Chinese business from doing well. I mean, I think that's the only way to put it. You've got these uh, companies that I think that the president and some of his staff believe are PRC just uh, let's say they're owned by the Chinese communists. So, yeah, I mean, it's a last-ditch attempt, I think, to destabilize relationships. So, Carl, I don't know. I mean, to me, you got to watch China. I, I, I thought it'd be a little bit easier. Right now, it's in a void. Uh, as, uh, as David said earlier, of course, uh, it's been a couple of iterations of decision-making here. Bob Pisani is going to try to walk us through what the NYSC's thinking actually has been. Hey, Bob. And it's not easy to do because what seems clear is that the NYSC was not quite sure how to interpret 
the executive order and more importantly, the Treasury Department regulations that went along with the executive order. So I think there's a little blame to go around for everybody here, NYSE, as well as the Treasury Department. Here's the chronology. Around New Year's Day, the NYSE decided to delist three Chinese telecom companies under the idea that they were actually part of the executive order and the Treasury Department regulations that banned uh, investing in companies that help China's military. Then Monday night, they decided to reverse that decision and keep the listing of those three Chinese telecom companies under the rubric that they had consulted with the regulators and decided to keep them in. Now they have, again, reversed the decision and decided to delist the companies. Now, the reason, and I've spoken with the, the NYC and background on this, is to talk to them in general about it. And it, they have said that Treasury is now giving very explicit guidance. They said before they didn't give explicit guidance on the three names. And that has cleared up, as a result of this, any ambiguity that existed before. The question, of course, is, well, why didn't we all figure this out beforehand? Why did we wait? to clear up this ambiguity, go to Treasury and say, we don't know what's going on here. Can you tell us explicitly? And that's what's really kind of hard to answer here. It seems pretty clear that the regulations were ambiguous. Uh, they were, you can argue, perhaps poorly written. Some might argue, we'll let history decide that. But obviously, the NYC, with all of its efforts and, and legal firepower, had trouble interpreting what's going on. There's other layers of, of questions here, including what exactly, if any, pressure came from other sources? Who pressured them initially to delist, number one? Number two, who would pressure them to not delist? Obviously, they have a major client, China, out there, where it has a major source of IPOs for them. And that's, of course, very, very important consideration. We don't know, and the NYC won't comment on whether China put any pressure on them at all. But it's certainly not unreasonable to consider that that may be a factor as well. Now, uh, they also told me this morning that Treasury is publishing an expanded fact that will explicitly explain what's going on. So hopefully now all of this confusion will be cleared up, but it still leaves a rather lingering bad taste in everyone's mouth when a major organization has to uh, twice make a decision to essentially reverse itself. And we'll, we'll, we'll try sorting out, again, the reasons why of the reversal. The ambiguity is clear, and that is perfectly understandable. But it's the reversals that kind of leave everybody with a, a somewhat puzzled look on their face. Guys, back to you. Uh, Jim, uh, satisfactory answer? Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I do think that everything's in flux. I mean, we have a new president soon. I think the president wants to try to get a little bit more, uh, let's say, consistent, a little less arbitrary and capricious about pressuring uh, something like the New York Stock Exchange, a little more hands off. And that's going to mean, I think, David, that the possibility of a better relationship still uh, lies ahead. But you know what, David, this freedom in Hong Kong is going to be an important issue for uh, President Biden. I don't know how that cuts in terms of selling goods to China. You have a clue on that one? I think that's a tight one. I don't, but I do know, as you well know, that freedom has been uh, significantly eroded in Hong Kong. We haven't paid as much attention, perhaps, during the last year as, as we might otherwise, given everything else going on. There's plenty of other issues that also haven't gotten, perhaps, sustained attention, given the pandemic, the election, and everything else, Jim. But you're right. 
Uh, if the Biden administration chooses to focus on that, it's not clear that things are going to get any better with the Chinese or that various penalties that are already in place, tariffs and the like, are going to be resolved. So we'll have to see. And then you get to technology, where we are competing with them in so many ways, whether it is uh, 5G or whether it's just chips in general, um, which, you know, semiconductor chips, which is obviously so important. Taiwan certainly a key in that. And Taiwan is not part of China, but not that they wouldn't like it to be. Uh, so, you know, Jim, yeah, no shortage of things in that relationship to keep in mind. But I would argue it's probably one of the few areas where there is not going to be as much um, dividing the outgoing administration from the incoming one. Well, look, I, you spoke to Steve Monkoff, outgoing CEO of Qualcomm yesterday, David. Qualcomm, huge business in China. All right. So yeah. it's down a, a tad. I think we have to be careful with painting such a broad brush in all of technology. I mean, take a look. Take a look at Salesforce today. Did Salesforce, did they suddenly lose a lot of clients? Is their stock too expensive versus the tenure? I don't know. I think we'll come back and start buying these stocks again. Right. And uh, the China news is a little overblown. I don't want to take action on, uh, on what's happening in China now, if only just because the, pre the new president, the president-elect, will not do business by Twitter. He, he just won't. I no. mean, that's just not his style. No, you're not that's going to positive get. That's positive for the Yeah, style. you're not going to get that kind of back and forth and those where we're reacting to something that we're seeing on Twitter. That's true. Uh, uh, Jim, you know, you mentioned Qualcomm, of course, seen as a national champion in some ways in terms of 5G and its importance to the overall defense of the United States and our economy. Um, I mentioned semiconductors. You know, Intel could fit in that at some point as well, uh, given it's obviously the sort of the last real producer of chips on these shores, uh, specifically at least the ones that they produce. Um, and I wanted to come back to Intel because it's under siege from Dan Loeb's third point, that uh, long letter they wrote a couple of weeks ago, or at least it came public. Um, and the nominating window uh, closes very soon for directors. So we'll see if Mr. Loeb chooses to do that. I mention it because you can see there they have at least been talking. Dan Loeb and Bob Swan, I'm told, on Monday had a Zoom call expected to meet again, not getting any sense as to what really was discussed or how you would term, whether it was cordial, whether it was not, uh, whether there was areas of agreement. I don't have much for you, but I do can tell you that it would seem to behoove at least both sides, perhaps, to try to reach some sort of settlement. But certainly you'd think um, that is what they will try to figure out if there is some common ground there, Jim, for them to hit prior to right. Mr. Loeb uh, moving ahead with nominations, given the window is going to close very soon. Well, I have a thesis on Intel. Give it to if me. If they had better chips, the stock would go higher. <laughs> now, watch Taiwan. I know. Watch Taiwan Semi, TSM. If we were all really, Taiwan Semi is at the heart of everything. Because we know that Taiwan is a hot button. I wouldn't be surprised if China right now says, oh, my God, we got to shut down. Kramer's talking positive about Taiwan. I mean, Taiwan Semi is a huge, fabulous company. If we lose that one, we being the United States, that is the Achilles heel, not Intel. Uh, Bob Swan is a really nice guy. Oh, boy. There it is, Carl. I've heard those words before. What? Cutting words. What? Yes. Cutting remarks. Yes. Any, any student of this program uh, what, knows what, what that say? means. Yeah. What did I say? <laughs> you said he's a nice guy. <laughs> yep. He's a nice guy. I can do a spa, uh, nice guy spat. <laughs> Jim, um, we got the S&P financials close to a one-year high. I got the 10-year, uh, 101 basis points. JPM, 
now the highest since February. I see Deutsche took JPM to 142, uh, Goldman to 290, uh, COF to 123. I mean, uh, there's definitely a story being built here, wouldn't you say? Well, it's hysterical. I mean, how long ago? I mean, Goldman was at 175 not that long ago, and its business was going to be much better, and nobody cared. Here's what I like about Goldman. Obviously, I work there, but um, it's selling 12 times earnings. I think Goldman has a very good pastiche of business, as does Morgan Stanley. They are actually catering to wealthy people as well as advising on M&A. I listen to David. I come in, and David, you've already talked about a lot of M&A. You've yeah. already talked about a lot of IPOs this year. Yeah. So, I mean, what a good book of business they have. I think Goldman is actually undervalued at 100 billion well 98 billion dollars why, why is goldman in, why david is goldman is selling at 10 times near-term earnings i used to think that goldman was the best what happened did they get are they just now a lot of really nice people no there's still a lot of really smart driven people uh but listen there are still people who are questioning the uh the um the strategy part of the strategy for the company of course to move into a more retail-oriented market in terms of lending with the Marcus products, uh, whether that's going to work. And at the same time, though, they want to be valued, Jim, I think, at Goldman. You know, they have a lot of alternative assets that they manage. Um, there's part of that firm that looks more like Blackstone, and they feel like we don't get any credit for that at all. Um, you know, that's recurring cash right. flow. Everybody right. says it's not, but it is because our private equity business has been putting up these numbers for years. And by the way, if you're a Goldman partner... A lot of them are invested in those businesses that have IRRs that are very high and make them very wealthy, uh, but they would like more credit for that in the, in the broader market. Perhaps they're starting to get it a little bit. And then to your point, M&A, IPOs, I mean, they continue to be obviously one of the strongest players, and M&A is strong. Um, we're starting off the year here. Everybody seems quite busy that I'm speaking to. You mentioned those two health care deals, Carl. Uh, changes up a lot, as we might have expected, with that United Healthcare deal. And that's almost a, you know, when you throw in debt, it's a $13 billion deal, but it's almost an $8 billion equity check right there that we're talking about, to your point, Jim. So, uh, yeah, M&A is alive and well and seems to be going quite, uh, quite strong and will continue to. By the way, guys, on that note, Tiffany LVMH, Jim, closes tomorrow. I know you may have seen these uh, holiday period results that were put out by Tiffany as their management team says bye-bye. Net sales up about 2% as compared to the same period in 2019. That was November 1st through December 31st. So they had up sales at Tiffany year over year after all of that. Of course, Bernard Arnault has become even richer because LVMH's stock has done so well. China. China's yeah, sales especially, are just remarkable. Yeah. China, uh, Jim, and at the high yeah. end in the U.S. too. Um, uh, very much uh, the wealthy in the country are spending. It kind of reminds me of some of the uh, bullish calls today on Visa out of Susquehanna, 250. Uh, B of A ups MasterCard to buy and Truist up square to 300, Jim. I mean, the stocks aren't moving a whole lot, but there's also uh, a bullish pastiche around payments too today. Oh, yeah, I think the MasterCard Visa, that's about how cross-border is going to come back when we start traveling again. I think it's a little premature. I mean, we haven't even talked about uh, all the negatives with, uh, about vaccinations and the new uh, Dr. Gottlieb story about the South African strain and makes it sound like you wouldn't necessarily want to travel. But people want to get ahead. They want to get out of the travel story. Uh, if you really want to get out of the travel story, you have to go back to Estee Lauder. I mean, this is a company that has a gigantic business in China, gigantic duty-free business, and it's not getting credit. I think it's terrific.
David, you may disagree. Uh, no, finally, you may not like why would gym, I disagree? Uh, cosmetics. Well, because you, when you shop, when you go to like to Ulta, David, you mm. probably don't like how much you have to pay for the Estee Lauder products. I say <laughs> get the house brand, David. You don't need Estee Lauder. Thank you. You don't. But I, in China, I, they love it because of prestige. Remember, it's a zoomy. It's not. A, it's not. No longer a selfie generation. It's a zoomy generation. And David, pimples are magnified on zoomy. Do you know that? I did not pimples. know that. I did. That's not the story know that. of 2021. Zits and zoomy. Uh, we're going to take a break, guys. As you can see at the bottom of your screen, uh, market services PMI just came out. December reading final 54.8 uh, compared with a 55.3 mid-month. As we said, the 10-year did surpass 1% today for the first time since March. And as we go to break, take a look at the dollar index once again near levels going back to the spring of 2018. We're back in a minute. GE's board reportedly won't claw back compensation from former CEO Jeff Immelt and other executives. This over the company's accounting issues or his use of a corporate backup jet. This after a three-year probe into allegations of misconduct at GE. The Wall Street Journal citing a letter from the law firm hired to run the process. And the letter says the investigation found no evidence to support shareholders' claims of fraud and abuse. Uh, yeah, the only abuse, Jim, is when you go back and you take a look at what's happened to the stock price over the long term. We talk a lot about Larry Culp. Things have gone fairly well under him. I mean, heck, I even read a story recently that they're going to come up with a new blade for windmills. It's bigger than one you've ever seen. Uh, but that doesn't take away from the 20-year history. Of course, buying high and selling low just doesn't work when you do it time and again for large, large assets. No, whether it be oil... Uh, whether it be, by the way, the turbine accounting, we weren't that crazy about uh, long-term care policies. They turned out to be a suboptimal situation. Uh, but, David, Larry, Larry Culp wants to look forward, not look backward. And look how well he's doing. I think that that's one of the great stories here, which is that Culp is getting this thing turned around. And I know that we can do a Don Quixote about uh, these windmills, but they do matter. Yeah. It, it, this company's in a position to do well. Uh, I never really liked that power division. Suddenly, I'm warming up to it. Uh, yes, they sold the growth uh, hospital business, uh, the, the uh, what it's called, the genomics business, but they kept the MRI business. The aircraft business, I think, is going to come back big. I think Culp's doing a great job. And I, I, look, I just want him to be able to think forward uh, and not have to worry about thinking backwards because that doesn't get him anywhere. I wonder what Tusa's is thinking about. Yeah. And does he have a new sweater? I don't know. I haven't heard from New him in a long time. Sweater for, yeah. 2021. Sartorially, he still lacks what I think is what I would call uh, pizzazz. Hmm. Okay, thank you for that. <laughs> uh, guys, uh, Dow's up 170 here, benefiting really from the financials, up almost 3%. Best day for regional banks since uh, early November. Take a break and be right back. Stop trading with Jim. 
Well, look, I think a lot of people were laughing at Constellation Brands that they spent so much to get a big chunk of, uh, of basically of Canopy, which had been a disaster. Well, guess what? Canopy is coming all the way back. And now I'm wondering whether Constellation is getting enough credit for making that bet on Canopy, uh, which is going to be the largest uh, cannabis company. It also has, by the way, cannabis drinks. I haven't had them yet, but I'm told that they're great, tastes great, not filling at all. Uh, They report tomorrow, and I think that you're going to hear Bill Newlands talk positively about what's going on in cannabis, not just with Modelo and Corona. Hmm. Yeah, things might get interesting on the policy front there, Jim. What's tonight? Okay, uh, people just love, they love EV. Okay. So I'm giving them Lion Electric, all right? And why not? I mean, people, I'm going to do every single one of these companies if I have to, because I know that the younger investors, what I call the Merrymen, all want these companies. Michael Weiss, yes, the former analyst. TG Therapeutics, what a remarkable success. Autoimmune diseases, he's been fantastic. What a great situation. I think I had him on when the stock was at five. I cannot wait till tonight, but how much fun has this been coming from what I regard as being my home? Well, because it is. <laughs> <laughs> Not for where's long. Where's the though, dog, Jim. Marley? Uh, look forward. Mar- where's Marley? <laughs> Get that dog in here. <laughs> it's uh, it's the new world we're in. Uh, we'll see you tonight. Uh, Mad Money, of course, with yeah. Jim Cramer, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.